Welcome to the Abandoning Average Podcast here for the aspiring Christian woman. There's a lot of self-doubt. Why am I not doing this? And then you're like, oh, well, because just because I'm afraid of it. There's also this norm of, well, why are you doing something different? I don't want you to be. People want for other people to look at them and say, oh, that person is successful. They put their mind to something and they did it. What happens most of the time is people start something and then it doesn't go anywhere. I think a lot of people aren't aware that they're actually like afraid to do something out of the ordinary. So then they don't do anything. By choosing to do something different, you are setting yourself apart. Fear of rejection, fear of anything is normal. It's what you do with it. Fundamentally, being different, doing something different isn't bad because God has given a purpose and that's what matters. I'm your host, Amanda Boardwine, and welcome to the Journey to Abandoning Average. Welcome to another episode of the Abandoning Average Podcast. I'm so excited today because we have an awesome, awesome guest. Her name is Teresa Swanstrom Anderson, and you are just kind of all over the place right now. You've written a book, you've, <laughs> you're doing all kinds of stuff. So I just want to hear a little bit of your story, just so people can get kind of a good overview of everything that you've done. Absolutely. Well, in a nutshell, I am living the life that I always thought I never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I never wanted children. I um, had a whole different plan for my life. My plan was to become a curator of some museum in Europe, preferably Italy, you know, having my doctorate and just live a very international life. Again, children were not part of that plan. So I think it's God is just laughing at me having six kids now. <laughs> I love it. I love it because I was listening to another one of your podcasts. We were talking about this the other day, but I totally relate to you on all of these things because I wanted to do, um, we didn't talk about this, but I wanted to do um, church history kind of tours in, in Italy. So that's what I want to do, doing nothing, nothing related to that now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So um, with all of that said, so you grew up in um, Guatemala, had this dream to kind of be an art curator. How did that, all of that happen? Well, I am from Seattle for the most part. And when I was, gosh, I think it was fifth grade, spring break, my dad and I took a mission trip with some of his friends um, to Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I need to ask him why I came. I don't know if I- <laughs> begged and pleaded or if they thought you know maybe she's old enough to um get a little outside her comfort zone but we went into just a teeny tiny remote village and in fact I was the first blonde child that the villagers had ever seen really the kids just followed me around and wanted to touch my hair because they thought I was magic (laughs) that was great So when my dad and I came back, it was a medical mission trip, which again is hilarious. My dad's an entrepreneur and not a doctor at all. So I don't know what we were doing there, but it was amazing and totally changed my life and uh, widened my worldview massively. So we came back to Seattle, convinced my mom that we needed to move to Guatemala. And um, maybe six months later, we moved. Six months. Oh my goodness. Wow. So then how long were you there for? We were there two and a half years. Okay. In Antigua, which is the old capital, um, hundreds of years ago, it was, um, uh, yeah, capital. Anyway, it's just full of cobblestone streets and Bougainvillea 
um, you know, topped walls and it was just what you see on a postcard. It's uh -huh. just beautiful. And we lived there um, for a language school while my dad started up his company. Uh, he was part owner in an airplane company called Glass Air, which does kit planes, like all the ones you see at air shows that do the loops. And yeah. So um, he traveled back and forth to Guatemala City, which is the current capital. And um, eventually we also moved to Guatemala City once the business had been set up. And we lived literally at the international airport. <laughs> <laughs> My word. <laughs> so uh, he found a hangar and built the manufacturing plant on the main floor and built a apartment for our family on the second floor. And our front yard was the international runway. So if you ever fly into Guatemala, you will taxi past our house. Um, wow. And the other side was just a little alleyway and teeny tiny little, you know, spots for parking. So on the other side of the alleyway was the army base. And that was interesting because it was a time of a lot of civil unrest and mm. guerrilla warfare. So sometimes the guerrillas would attack the army base and mm. the reporters shot back and forth and hand-to-hand -hand combat on our front steps. Oh my word. Wow. But I was telling my hairdresser recently our stories and she was like, okay, now let's be honest. Are you totally making this up? <laughs> <laughs> like, nope, it's real. Yeah. Like, wow. Of Guatemala, the less likely it seems, but yeah, it was all just oh my goodness. Yeah, I remember we were talking about growing up in uh, like I grew up in Korea too, and I remember every once in a while there would be riots in front of the air base and stuff like that, but it was never, never to that extent like, never like that. That's crazy. So, so what did life look like for you when you were actually there? Like, what were you doing on a day to day basis? Well, once we moved to Guatemala City, uh, we started at a school called, am I forgetting what it's called, GAC, Guatemala Christian, wait, GA, anyway, GAC. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't remember anything either. I'm sure I will remember it five minutes after we finish. Can you make a list of all the things that you need to ask your dad? Like, why? <laughs> Anyway, it was a Christian school, teeny tiny. Um, there were two English speaking schools in the city. Um, and the one I went to was mostly missionary kids and embassy kids and some, you know, entrepreneur and business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, just tiny. <laughs> we didn't have a bus system, obviously, but we did, um, hire a driver in this little tin can of a van, you know, that you see all over little, uh, third world countries. And so several of us that lived in this neighborhoods were kind of, um, distinguished by zones so we were all the people in Arizona uh, just went in this little van and it wasn't until years later that we actually found out that this nice man was our bodyguard so oh, um, wow driver. <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> yeah a whole nother story <laughs> yeah completely different like it's just a completely different way of thinking a way of living all of that that's crazy yeah, yeah. So, it's interesting looking back, all the things that our parents allowed. There was, you know, Friday nights or Saturdays, we would go to this place called Skate Track. And it was very, you know, 1990s roller skating rink-ish, but it was where all the cool kids went, whether you were Guatemalan or American or whatever. And our parents would leave us there for the evening. And when I look back, I'm thinking, what in the world? You're looking at your own kids going, no way. 
bonkers. But I think that you just learn to live within the chaos. Yeah. And I think that there was more safety measures going on than I remember because, you know, that would have been ridiculous just to leave, you know, mm-hmm. 30 middle school kids um, there. But anyway, yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you know that I'm like super interested in this, but I want to know what it was like coming back to the States. Like when you moved back, like interacting with other kids, um, just life in general, like what was that like? Well, in our, we moved unexpectedly. There was actually a hit out on my dad. So we packed Mm -hmm. up and left. Mm -hmm. So came back. My grandfather was pretty ill. So we moved in with my grandparents just to help out. And again, because it was unexpected, we had already sold our house and our stuff was in storage and it just made more sense to just move in with them for a little while. And so suddenly I was thrown back into our private Christian school that was, you know, filled with a lot of wealthy kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about this yesterday in our, our chat, but we were not, my, my brother and I did not come from a wealthy family. We were comfortable. We don't fit here. <laughs> but, you know, this was very clueless. Like uh-huh. kids would drive cars that were more expensive than my car now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would take their private jet to Disneyland for their birthday for the weekend. My word. It was just such a massive culture shock from living amidst such poverty and seeing that that bubble of suburbia in Seattle was not real life for vast majority of the world. And I just didn't fit. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize why for a long time. Uh, I remember talking to my best friend outside of, you know, the little locker area. And I said, you know, why didn't you send me any letters? I kept sending you letters for two and a half years that we were gone and I didn't get a single one from you. And she just looked at me. She was like, gosh, they were just really long, you know? And, <sighs> and like, what? And, you know, this is pre-internet. So letters was right. And the questions that I was asked were, do they have animals there? Do they, it was just really, I don't know, ill thought out questions or just, yeah, like, yeah. I just felt like, gosh, you guys have no idea what, what the real world is like. And I don't mean to say that in a judgmental way at all. I mean, we were just kids. What do we know? But at the same time, I, I just, that was not my world anymore. And so I really struggled to find friends that um, wanted to have conversation that was a little bit more than clothes and boys and makeup. Oh, my word. Thank you for saying that. That's like been my life all the time. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. It's fun, but <laughs> there's just so much more. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I totally remember. I remember coming back to the States um, and looking at the cereal aisle and being like, really, you need this many, <laughs> this many? <laughs> yeah. Waste, just, I could not handle it. Yeah. The, even at lunchtime, you know, in the cafeteria, all the stuff that kids threw away, the uneaten things, the one bite or the complaining about, I don't know, the fact that it wasn't right or there's, yeah. I had just <laughs> when we came back, it was, and you know, coming from Seattle, it was especially starting to boom. And 
you know, your Starbucks orders wrong and they get all upset. And granted, I like my coffee the way that I like it. I get that. But I just couldn't wrap my mind around mm -hmm. just the triteness of it all, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. My heart. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my God, I don't mean to say that in a judgmental way at, no. at all. No. No, I totally understand because you come from a place of, yeah, you come from a place of like, there's just a lot of struggle. And when you see a lot of that struggle, there are other, other people have other struggles and you look at those and you're just kind of looking at it and going, okay, that just doesn't fit as much. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so, oh my goodness, so many things, but going from there, um, to now and you're, you're, um, in Colorado, you've got a lot of things going on and like really working from, from what I can tell, really working on building a community. Um, and you've written a book. Um, I want to talk about a couple other things that you've done too, but like, what was that transition like from growing up to actually getting to where you are now? Sure. Well, I think that because I no longer fit and I wanted so desperately to, uh, I eventually kind of morphed back into the girl that drove me nuts. You know, the girl that thought of boys and clothes more than anything else. Mm. And I think that that was just because I didn't know what else to do. And again, I did find some friends that um, did think deeper. And we were, we had great conversations. In fact, one of those dear friends now is on Inside Edition and just really making waves in, as a Christian woman, um, in, you know, at a table that I don't have a seat at. Many of us don't mm -hmm. have a seat at. Mm -hmm. So it's really exciting to see yeah. how God is using her and her depth as a kid is now, you know, just showing such benefit um, for his kingdom. Oh, that's but, amazing. Um, as a whole, though, I always felt like God was saying, there's more, don't forget what I showed you. And I just kind of pushed it away for years. And um, kids scared me, and I had babysat, I don't know, maybe five times in my life, and they were all disasters. Yeah, another thing that we were late on. <laughs> that is not where I want my life to be edited. I just, it was just mess and craziness and chaos and loud, and I don't know. I just thought it wasn't for me. So, but the, our time in Guatemala, I think, really opened my eyes to the path that there was more. Um, mm -hmm. So after graduating college and again, wanting to go on to get my master's and doctorate, I met my husband and we were best friends for years and we worked together and that story is in the book, so I won't really go into it, but uh, he also wanted a life outside of his, outside of himself and mm -hmm. either one of us knew what that looked like. And even when we, when we were just friends, we just independently knew that God was asking something different of us than you know our siblings or mm -hmm. our neighbors mm -hmm. or our best friends or whatever and so as we realized that oh actually I think that we're in love and we got married <laughs> real quick, <laughs> realized we were dating without realizing we were dating for a long time that's great <laughs> and there was a black and white photograph of an at an auction that we had gone to and it just spread a lot of conversation and we knew, okay, God, I think this is it. I think that, you know, this little boy in this photograph, who's obviously 
in Africa, obviously at either a school or an orphanage because he was surrounded by other little kids all wearing the same uniform as him. Um, we just felt like the blinders fell off that day when we were at that auction and seeing that, mm-hmm. um, that, that you know, Africa was in our future and adoption specifically. So uh, my husband had lived all over the world as well. He has a very different upbringing than I do. He was, um, he came from an abusive home. He was kicked out and was homeless. He never graduated high school. He eventually became a mechanic for the U.S. cycling team and traveled all around the world. Oh, wow. Preparing. Good for him. Yeah. As they are, you know, it wasn't the Tour de France that he worked with, but, you know, those types of. Yeah, yeah. Wow, awesome. So he also has experienced um, other cultures and seen a lot of things. And his dad was a military attache in Egypt. So he lived with his dad for a little while and just saw that life was bigger. And the world is a big and vast place. And there's so much that we could do, um, you know, as individuals. So I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you totally are. I have another question. So. <laughs> But my question is, um, so when you were, you were like, okay, let's, let's go ahead and see if we can, um, adopt. What were you thinking? Like at that time, like what was going through your mind and everything? Cause you had said, you were like, no, never. <laughs> so, um, at one point, so this was before I even had met Ben and I was still pursuing the art history thing. My best friends or one of my best friends, sister said, um, you know, what's your plan? What's your dream? And she lived in BC and she was doing really big and exciting things. And, and I told her my dreams and she was like, well, where does family fit in that? And I was like, well, I don't really want kids. <laughs> and she said, wow, your Christmases are going to be really boring. And that little offhand goofy comment just had me reeling for weeks. And I thought, mm. gosh, what kind of life am I setting myself up for is it going to be one that's really lonely and it might be and and who am I doing this for I'm saying that I want to be a light for Christ in the art world because there's not a whole lot of Christians within that but am I actually doing it for God or am I doing it because for a lot of years people told me I was dumb and and Mm. you know not smart enough to do something big like that and I wanted to show them or what is the real reason um so I just gave it all back to God. I, there's a park bench in Seattle that overlooks the um, Space Needle. And if you've mm-hmm. ever watched Grey's Anatomy, it's one of their favorite shots. Oh, cool. Um, and that, that bench that they always show on the, sh- on the television show was my place. I would always bring my Bible and my journal and just do my devotions and spend some time with him. And when the days that I was up there, I realized, oh my God, I just, I think that there's more. I'm thinking, I feel like I'm ignoring you with all those things that you whispered in my ear after coming back from Guatemala that they, you know, don't forget everything that I showed you. Life is bigger. There is more. This is not all that there is. And, and so I just opened my hands to him and, um, said two things I said send me and I said yes and I didn't know what I was saying yes to and I didn't know where I was asking him to send me but I knew that those were very weighty and big things to to pray because um, things not immediately not the next day but 
fairly soon became um, just changing. Yeah, so. it's incredible when you actually start. I've I've had that um, like analogy, I guess maybe. I don't know what the word is, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> um, having like that open-handed um, mentality of, okay, whatever you want to pour into me that can go out to other people, like it's such a powerful thing. So I, I love that you use that. But um, so then from there, so you're sitting on this park bench and you're like, okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. Um, and then was the auction after that? The auction was maybe two years after that. Okay. So then did you actually... It was definitely not immediate. Okay. Okay. So then like two years after, and then, so did you go to Africa fairly soon after that and just like start that whole process going or what, what did that look like? Well, it's kind of funny. So we, it was like we had give, been given marching orders when we saw that photograph and it's now in our entry. So, you know, if you're ever at our house, you'll see it. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> but it was like we knew we had our marching orders, but we weren't given permission to actually take that step yet so we weren't even engaged yet um we were shortly after but you know we again we're in Seattle and on our honeymoon we found out that my husband got a promotion so we moved immediately to San Antonio tried to figure out what life looked like there and then and I was a crisis pregnancy counselor and yeah. crisis pregnancy counselor forgot to take birth control and got <laughs> pregnant <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. So, um, so I got pregnant real quick, just, I don't know, a couple months after being married. And then when Anton was six months old, I got pregnant again. And so we felt like, okay, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, you've given us this dream and our, this, you know, this calling, but obviously, uh, it's a little bit out of our hands on the timing. So um, after Lath was born, we just almost immediately, like within weeks of him being born, we really felt like, okay, this is when we we're supposed to start doing the research. Mm -hmm. So it was always Africa. We just didn't know what country within it. And as we began to research what countries were open and what country we were passionate about, uh, we just fell head over heels in love with Ethiopia. We love the people. We lo I knew I loved the food um, and all the just incredible deep history. And so uh, Anton and Leif were three and four when we finally brought home Imani. Mm -hmm. So she was five months old. She weighed nine pounds at five months, which, you know, mm -hmm. as you would expect, she was yeah. and very malnourished. And then while we, before we brought her home, we really felt like God was asking us to bring home an older boy. And so we asked for a lot of prayer and discernment from the people around us and our friends and family and our pastor and um, got 100% response as do not do this. Um, mm. Do not go outside your birth, right? Or your birth and um, order. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you know, your firstborn needs to remain your firstborn or you're going to psychologically <sighs> disrupt him and he's not going to know his place. And uh so we got scared and um, told the agency, I'm so sorry. I thought we were interested in this boy, but I, I don't know. Maybe. I guess not. <laughs> oh, wow. And, you know, there's obviously a whole lot bigger story to that. But when we went to um, Ethiopia to get Imani to bring her home, uh, the day that we found out that, 
that we were cleared to bring her, our director of our agency also said, you know, that little boy that you were looking at all those months ago, he's actually been moved from hours and hours and hours in a tiny town um, outside of Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia, mm-hmm. to about 15 minutes away from where you'll be staying. Do you have any desire to meet him? He'll have no idea that that's why you're there. You could just bring jump ropes and gum and, you know, play with the kids for the day. And he'll just think that you're taking a tour of the orphanage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it comes out between Ben and I that we still thought about this little boy all the time. We still prayed for him daily. And um, we just had gotten scared. And really, we, really what it came down to is we were listening to, you know, our fellow man instead of the calling that God has given us. And I think that that is such an important thing for us to all remember that it's not their calling. It's our calling. So of course they're going to have questions and concerns and, and if they haven't had the same, you know, burden placed on their heart, why would they feel a hundred percent supportive? Of- yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was, uh, something that we had to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we brought Ezekiel home four months after bringing Imani home. So mm-hmm. we knew really quick that he was to be in our family. Oh, so. I love it. I love it. And I think going back to like what you said about um, advice and everything, I think it's so, so key. Like you, you need to have advice in your life. You need to have advisors, people that are speaking into your life, but often God, like all the time, God trumps it, you know, like (laughs) take his advice first, you know, but sometimes it's a little bit hard to differentiate, like what's actually your own feelings. And so I love, I love that you shared that because there are so many times where it's, we hold ourselves back from actually allowing, like letting God actually lead. Right. Because of fear, because of what, whatever it is, you know, that we try and protect our, each other and, Mm -hmm. you know, as a parent, now I get that more than ever, that I want to protect my children from pain, from harm, from heartache. And it doesn't mean that I should at all times because that's how they grow. If I didn't let my kids, you know, actually learn to walk <laughs> because I was afraid they'd hit their head or something, they would still be in a stroller I'd be pushing around. Right. <laughs> and I think that's really what it came down to is, you know, I had a family member, um, sit down knee to knee with me and say, Hey, you're going to destroy your family if you bring this. Mm-hmm. Boy and, you know, a person that loves Jesus deeply and someone that I care about deeply and what they, what their opinion is on me and, and what I'm doing in my life, what they think matters to me. But, um, I realized that one, God asks us to do us to do crazy things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the saying that God's not going to give you more than you can handle is 100% not true. It is not in the Bible. Go look mm-hmm. for it. It is not there. Right. Um, of course, he's going to give us things that we can't handle because he's God. And if we could do everything on our own, we would not need him. Right. So um, the people that I admire the most I think in life are the people that have gone through some really hard stuff and still come out with joy and loving Jesus and you know whether it's a 
sickness and, you know, cancer or some really hard family stuff or um, just hard situations that they've gone through, you know, are bringing home four kids now from Ethiopia has been hard, especially the older kids that have had life experience and, and, you know, have trauma. And yes, it has been hard 100%, but I wouldn't change it for the world because it has made me um, cling to God more and cling to my husband. um, Mm -hmm. And it's just brought us closer as a family because we have like, we've gone to war and won Um, spoils of, just the grace and the love and the grit, you know, with it, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm with you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, um, so from there, so you've been living in Colorado for a while and what I've been hearing, and I want to ask you about this is, um, what I've been hearing through the other interviews that I've listened to and everything is that you've really, really purposed yourself to be able to create a community in your area and allow people into your home. And all. I love that because my husband and I, when we first got married, we said, we want to like be the hosts in our, like that we want to do that. And so I, I gravitate so much toward that. I want to hear more about it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we have lived in seven houses within, well, we've been in our current house for a couple of years now into that house. We've been in seven years, I mean, seven houses in eight years. Wow. Um, and that means moving different states or different neighborhoods, or even we, when we initially moved to Denver, we rented a house because we didn't know what area we wanted to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we bought a house three doors down. So, you know, they have been big moves and small moves, but nevertheless, it has um, really stretched my understanding of what, how I appreciate my home. Mm. The house that we um, bought that was three doors down from the rental was deemed uninhabitable by the bank. And it was trashed. Uh, the people that lived there previously, I think, didn't understand that they actually had to pay their mortgage. Oh, and all right. <laughs> and we're angry when the bank took it back. So, Oh, um, okay. I've seen those before. Yes. <laughs> Even more than that, it was just shoddily constructed, uh-huh. you know, weird remodels and the stairs were falling as, you know, <laughs> oh. the handrail fell all down as soon as one of our kids walked up it. And oh it my goodness. To not only live, but be. So um, once we got it safe enough to live in, um, I just really felt like God was saying, you need to bring people in. And I thought, I am new to this city. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that people should be inviting me in. We've only lived here a short time. I don't know people. Why aren't I getting the invitations? Mm -hmm. Why aren't people saying, hey, she's the new girl. Um, We should, you know, introduce her to all these people, or we should invite her to book clubs, or we could, I don't know, whatever. I just wasn't, I knew people. I, you know, knew the moms on the soccer team and in Bible study and I was in mm-hmm. mops and um I don't know. I, I every conversation that I had was only went to a certain depth. Mm-hmm. And nothing against the women that I was talking to. I'm sure it was just as much um my fault as it was theirs, but 
I just, I don't do well with surface conversation and I want to actually know someone. And, mm-hmm. and um, because I wasn't getting those invitations, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like soccer practice was the place to hear someone's whole life story. And so I just didn't know anyone's life story and, and what their struggles and passions and loves were. So we just talked about kids and, and I don't know, you know, just yeah, the yeah. weather and I don't know. <laughs> and one day, uh, one of our kids was riding his bike to school and was in a big accident and was rushed first to one hospital and then they were going to medevac him to the main children's hospital here in Denver. Um, but they were worried that even getting the helicopter there in time was going to just be too long. So a ambulance had just pulled up with a different, you know, bringing another patient. And so they zoomed off in that uh, ambulance back over to the main one, the main uh, children's facility. And they didn't even tell us really what was going on. Like it just happened so fast. We knew something was wrong with his liver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that when he crashed, his handlebars went up or, you know, one side of it went up and it gouged him in the stomach area. Ooh. And um, so come to find out he was massively bleeding internally. His um, liver was lacerated mm. and, you know, a wrong bump would have, he basically would have bled out mm. in- his body <laughs> oh my gosh um, I don't totally understand how that how that works but it was you probably don't want to know <laughs> no <laughs> so he um when he crashed he our older son Ezekiel um took him to the school nurse and we didn't realize that it was or they didn't realize that it was anything more than just some skinned knees and some gravel mm-hmm. you know on his face mm-hmm. um but real quick it started going south so as um, as I'm realizing that he is having to go to this main children's campus, I call the school nurse just to give her a heads up on how he's doing. And even though it's a public school that they were going to, they were, it was just chock full of Christians. The school nurse was a Christian. The principal was mm. the PE teacher. All of the teachers, aside from one that our children ever had in elementary school, were all believers. It was really interesting. Um, so the school nurse just um, started praying with me and she said, okay, who do you have that you can call right now to do two things? One, start a prayer chain for Anton. And two, who can you drop off your little girls to? Because they're not going to allow you to bring babies Mm -hmm. into the emergency room. And I just burst into tears. I was like, Jean, I cannot think of a single person to call right now. And again, you know, I, I was even on steering, uh, which is the leadership of MOPS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was involved in leadership in our Bible study and, and all these places that I should have had community and I should have had these deep relationships. And I was just still waiting to be called. Um, I was not you know, I'm an introvert as, you know, as much as it doesn't seem like it. And, and no, no, I'm the same. <laughs> We're here chatting. This is one-on-one or it feels one-on-one. <laughs> but, um, you know, my being an introvert, I think I blame on sometimes because it gives me shelter from actually admitting that I'm not going to 
do the hard thing and make the effort on, on making friends and making friends mm -hmm. is hard sometimes, especially when you are the new person. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was the first time I realized, uh, you know, in all these moves, I have made some great friends, but it took me, you know, in San Antonio, when we lived there, it took me six years to find my people. And then we moved away. <laughs> You're like, wait, <laughs> amazing friends. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, several, Anton was in the hospital for over a week and he uh, was not allowed to move a whole lot for about six weeks. And as he healed, uh, and within that time I was doing uh, just my morning Bible study and came upon a verse, um, I'm blanking the, um, blanking on where it is right now, but mm -hmm. it was about Paul and it talks about him living in Rome and renting a little house or renting an apartment in Rome. Mm -hmm. and invited all who came invited in all who came to see him hmm. and uh it just i'd never i'd read that verse before because i read the whole bible but it just really stuck out to me that day thinking okay well paul didn't have um a perfect house he was renting this place and this was the time you know at the time when we were still fixing up our house and we had made it safe but it was not attractive. It was <laughs> you know, pumpkin colored sponge painted walls. And I can't have people over here. <laughs> and all this terracotta tile, which can look beautiful. Um, the terracotta tile in my house did not. <laughs> it looked um, old and cheap and just not my taste. And it was grimy. And, um, you know, I just felt like, okay, well, what about Paul? You know, he didn't have matching glassware. He didn't probably have all of his, it wasn't Pinterest ready or it wasn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I thought, well, if he can op have an open door policy, why can't I? And who says my home is not enough? And it really was a humbling moment when I realized God has given me so much. And he has given me a house you know, with a roof over my head and who am I to say it's not enough and it's not um, a place where I can invite people in. So what if the carpet is disgusting? Um, that's, that's not the purpose of, mm -hmm. of inviting them in in the first place. So I just got over myself basically and I <laughs> people over for anything I could think of, play dates, um, book clubs, cocktail parties, dinners in the backyard, uh, and again, my backyard's not fantastic. It's just a normal backyard. Just anything that I could possibly think of. And I invited anyone that I could think of as well. Um, I invited the lady behind the deli counter. Um, <laughs> she's come to our house a couple times now. Her name's That's Megan. awesome. The, the lady that I always seem to be on the treadmill next to at the gym. You know, women that I wanted to get to know better that are from our kids' classes or from the sports teams or from Bible study or, you know, whoever it is, whether they were, whether they love Jesus or not, whether they were, um, whatever culture they, you know, were, mm -hmm. we had different first, um, languages even, um, it didn't matter if they were college age or grandmother aged. I just would invite whoever. And sometimes people would look at me like a most crazy person mm -hmm. and that's okay. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> want to be invited somewhere. I mean, if you were out at Starbucks and you just happened to be sitting um, next to a person that you saw 
from time to time around, you know, sometimes you'd see him in the grocery store, sometimes you'd see mm-hmm. him at home, sometimes you'd see him wherever. Wouldn't it be nice for them to acknowledge your existence and be like, you know what, I'm having some ladies over. I know sometimes it's kind of weird and I don't really know you, but um, I run into you from time to time and I would just love to invite you. I'd love to get to know you. Yeah. Would that offend you? Absolutely not. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> my whole day. So right. I to get over my shyness and get uh-huh. over um, people thinking that I was a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you said that because I was literally just thinking, I feel like some people would, like listeners would be saying, you know, yeah, but what if they think I'm crazy? And I, I love that you said that because it doesn't matter. Like you're doing what you need to do. <laughs> and they don't have to say yes. And they can, you know, they can turn it down and think I'm a weirdo. That's fine. Yeah. Guess what? Some people did say yes. And they are some of my dearest friends here in town now. Mm. Because, um, I just got out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So um, I always wanted to have a friend base like on the Friends show or the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> you know, those friends just knew everything about each other. Yeah. They were friends forever and they had long history and knew all each other's inside jokes. Um, but I've never, I've moved around so much through my youth and even now as an adult that I just don't have that history you know, with many mm-hmm. people. So, um, and I think that's a lot of us. A lot of us are transplants. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we can't get to that point with people. We just need to make that, that first step. Yeah, yeah. I think, I definitely agree. I, I think I've moved 17, 18 times in my life. I don't even remember, which which it's not a ton, but it's it's still a, enough to be able to say you don't really have roots. Right. Um, and with that said, I think just recently, and I didn't always have this, I made a lot of excuses, but just recently I've kind of tried to form this make it happen mentality that it's, it's on you. Like, don't make excuses if, if somebody else isn't make, taking the initiative or something like that. Like, just make it happen, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, I've cried like three times. <laughs> I just pull it together. <laughs> Okay, so I want to ask you, where did this, where did this book come into play? Because you wrote this beautiful, beautiful book. I just started it right here. <laughs> I love it, but it's called Beautifully Interrupted. Where did that all come into play? When did you start? How, how did all of that happen? It's another one of those moments where you're like, okay, God, what you're asking me to do is crazy. And I don't know if I'm hearing you right, because that is just bonkers. But shortly after, so we haven't even talked about our third and fourth kid that we brought home. So uh, we had been in Denver for a short time and it was nap time. I was scrolling through Facebook and got to this teenage boy's um, story that a fellow adoptive mom had posted. And I just burst into tears. Mm -hmm. This is my son. And we were not looking to adopt anytime soon. Again, all of, you know, our finances were tied up in this house that was needing so much work. Uh Um, And hello, a teenage boy. I was not, that was not in part of the plan. <laughs> so um, got, my husband came home from work that night and I was stirring dinner on the stove. He came and kissed me and said, hey, we need to chat. And I said, it's about a boy named Abram because I think he's our son. And just like ver- verbally vomited all over. <laughs> um, and he was like, uh, yeah, actually that is what I want to talk about. Um, he had seen Abram's story on a different social media um, outlet, different person posting, but it was the same kid. Wow. And all day. He 
just was like, oh my gosh, this, this is my fit. So, um, and then, so that was in December and then Easter morning, uh, you know, several months later, we get out of church and we're buckling the kids up and in their seats to head home. And we get a, Ben checks his email while he's waiting for me to finish with the kids and sees a, uh, email from our agency. And he just assumes that it's just a little update on Abram. And instead of that, it was about 20 pictures of a little baby girl with a thing that said, this is your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) The last couple pictures were Abram holding the little girl. And I was like, no, 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 seriously, who is this? What's going on? And uh, I do not remember placing ourselves in the baby waiting list, but Ben says that we did. How I don't remember that, I do not know. What? Wow. I do not remember doing that. Um, (laughs) So all of a sudden, we're bringing these two kids home. So we bring them home um, that next summer um, together. Uh And uh, within a couple weeks of having them home, I feel like I'm supposed to start writing a book. (laughs) And Ben kept bringing it up. And just random people would start saying, you should, you really need to write your stories down. You need to write a book. And so I thought, well, that's craziness. With what time do I do that? (laughs) The oldest is almost 14, does not speak a single word of English. The youngest is five months old. And you know how high maintenance little tiny babies are. Right, right. I was not sleeping because they were not sleeping. I uh-huh. fell asleep literally at stop signs, not stop lights. I fell asleep at stop signs. No. I was so tired. And, but I, I just felt this deep burden to start writing. And I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. I mean, we've got some really incredible stories here. I should start writing it down just so that we have this memento our family just to pass down through the generations um and I would get up at four o'clock in the morning and I would be at Starbucks when it opened and I would write for several hours while Ben got the kids up and and fed and ready for school and then I would drive them to school and and um this happened for months and I would just write and I it went from okay God I'm doing this because I really feel like you're asking me to even though it makes no sense to not easily waking up at four in the morning because again I was so exhausted but just being really excited about going over there (laughs) (laughs) warm chocolate croissant and my latte and I would just put my worship music my Bethel on Uh my earbuds and I would just write for hours I fell in love with it and Mm. I did not know that I loved writing and I didn't know that I was any good at it but four years passed (laughs) and I still was kind of working on it and again didn't know that it was going to be anything more than for the family to be passed down but little by little I really felt like okay you know this is changing from just our stories to um, a tool that could be used for any women specifically but really anyone that um, wants to live outside of their comfort zone or wants to say Mm -hmm. yes to Jesus but doesn't know exactly what that means Mm -hmm. and my book is not just for adoptive families at all even though our stories of of that are woven in and out of it it's a lot more than that it's about um fear and what fervent prayer means and what that looks Mm -hmm. like and um what happens when you're given a calling but you're in a waiting season 
how do you wait well? How do you actively wait? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so I just, <laughs> it obviously it just all came together. <laughs> yeah. It was not a quick process by any means, but um, it's really exciting to see now what God's purpose in it was because it's not, mm-hmm. once again, it wasn't what I had planned. It, he had a, something bigger. Ah, beautiful. I love it. I really, really do. I seriously think that any of our listeners, like if you're struggling through those kind of things, like it's just such, such a good book and I, I'm so excited to finish it. Ah. <laughs> So I've heard multiple times through the whole, through this whole interview, which is so great, um, that you've really, really kind of gotten, not gotten into, but like you've really, really focused on Bible reading and Bible study, which is so admirable to me. Like, I think you can pick up your Bible and just look at it, but like actually studying and delving into that is just such, such a unique thing. And (laughs) I love that. Um, so you've developed this whole Bible nerd, um, study and everything. That's like, it's at 14 days. Yes. Yeah. And it's totally free and everything. So tell me, tell me about that. Tell our listeners about that too. Yeah. So I think a lot of us, whether we've been Christians, you know, for five decades or five minutes, uh, a lot of times we'll open up the Bible and be like, okay, (laughs) where do I start? What do I do? do In Genesis? Do I start in the new Testament? Um, do I just read? Do I do a pre-written study? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. It's just so much. What do you even do? How do you even start in a way that you feel like you're doing more than just having your eyes touch the words, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to school at, um, in England for a year. It was called Cape and Ray Bible School. And I really learned how to study the word for the first time by myself without a pre-written study. So Bible Nerd is really learning how to do that yourself. So it's, it's basically a study to learn how to not use a study. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that we forget that everything is related. Um, I never understood that ev- there was a string that tied everything together. Everything goes back to Jesus, even in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, since I grew up, in the church, you know, as a little kid going to Sunday school and all the little stories and flannel graph um, stuff. And yep. they were just kind of one-off stories. And I would learn about David and Goliath and I would learn about um, Daniel and the lion's den and, you know, all these fun stories, but I did not understand how they related to one another mm-hmm. or how in culture these certain events, how they made sense because the Bible was not written for us. I mean, it's written, or it's written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot about these stories that were like, well, that makes no sense. Why would we have done that? Um, well, it's because we don't live in that day, and it made sense to them. So we need to dig in a little bit further. What do these words mean? Um, what did that mean culturally? And I think often our translations don't at least for me personally, sometimes the translations don't um, explain it well enough for me. So like mm-hmm. when it says that we need to fear the Lord, are, am I supposed to be hiding under a table because I'm scared of God? No, that's not what it means at all. So once I dug into what does fear mean, mm-hmm. I understood more that it meant a deep reverence, mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. So Babel Nerd just walks you through really easily, just kind of like I'm having a conversation with you over a cup of coffee. Um, 
how how to figure those out? How do you look into the Greek or Hebrew? And why is that important? And why would I take time to do that? Um, things like that. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I'm going to be downloading it because I'm, I'm really excited about that. I've been in a study for a while that it's kind of complicated to explain, but it's called the 10 list method. And you, um, there's 10 lists, 10 bookmarks that you put in the Bible and you kind of move them through the Bible at the same time. So you read like 10 chapters in a day. So it's a little bit like speed reading, but at the same time, you're, you're getting that constant flow the whole way through of just kind of moving all the way through the whole Bible at the same time, which is really, really cool. But it's 10 chapters a day. <laughs> so I would love to be able to try that out, but I'm going to, I'm going to totally do it. I'm really, really excited. Uh, thank you so, so much. I've, I've run out of questions. I mean, I could go all day, but <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I had a couple like really, really quick questions that I want to ask you. But um, first I asked this to everybody, what does abandoning average mean to you? Abandoning average. Ooh, that's a good question. I think a big portion of it is realizing that you are more than that. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I think that average is very an easy, comfortable place to be in. Mm-hmm. And um, stepping out of our comfort zone, whether it's figuring out how to read the Bible or you know saying yes to something that is scary mm-hmm. or um, you know inviting people into your home when you feel like it's a crummy apartment that you share with five other you know yep. <laughs> figuring out what life looks like out of college or whatever it is. Just forget about what is easy and comfortable because when you stretch yourself, you learn so much about yourself and you learn how to hold on, you know, tighter to God and, mm-hmm. and live a life that is different and, and meaningful. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love it. Um, ah, see, I'm, I'm crying so many times. Oh my word. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> when, I, when I go somewhere and speak, when I um, call my husband after, and tell him how it went. His first question is, did anyone cry? Because we know that that's (laughs) (laughs) That's just what happens. (laughs) It goes well if people cry. Yes, it's true. It's true. That's the marker. (laughs) Okay. So where can people find you? Like, where do you kind of hang out online and everything where people can find you? My favorite place to hang out is Instagram. So it's just, I know it's long, but it's my name, Teresa Swanson Anderson. And I'm on Facebook a bit, but not my favorite place to be. So I'm not on there quite as well. Blog, and then obviously the book. But Instagram is really where you'll find me the most. And I just have a, you know, in the beginning, we were talking about being super, um, not being superficial and how it drove me crazy, how you know, these cared about boys and clothes. So when you see my Instagram page, you might be like, uh, okay, she's saying one thing and her images are saying another, you know, cause I do, I love beautiful things. I love mm-hmm. flowers. I like pink. I mean, my hair is pink. <laughs> um, but I think that we often forget that God invented beauty. Mm-hmm. God invented the enjoyment of pretty things. So just because um, we might not be showing our you know, dirty toilet or, you know, that needs scrubbing or something <laughs> doesn't, doesn't mean that we are being superficial. It's a place of inspiration. It's a place of rejuvenation. Yeah. So um, it, you know, I will talk about if I find a really good sale on a cute pair of shoes, I'm going to tell you about it. <laughs> you yeah. better believe that's going to be on there. Tell you, I host a dinner party, you know, using nothing but stuff from Goodwill or, um, you know, kids struggles or whatever. Mm-hmm. So 
I think that that's an, an important distinguishing factor that yeah. substance and beauty can coexist. And um, so anyway. I love that. Yeah. Um, I think Instagram is such a perfect platform for um, instantaneous beauty or something like that. When you see something really quick, you take a, take a shot of it and it's just saved. And so, yeah, I love the way that you described that because I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for being here to be able to listen in on this episode. I'm so grateful for you guys. I'm so grateful for all the support that you've shown. Thank you for the people who have left reviews on this podcast. And if you haven't already, go ahead and take a second. Go ahead and hop into iTunes and just drop that right in there. Drop your review. Let me know what you think because I know that that is such a fantastic way to be able to push this out into the people that need to hear this message of strength and of power through Christ. And I am so grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for your voices. And thank you guys so much. I will see you all at another episode.